As always, a big thank you to Myra Green for her music, her composition, Passing Places. You can find out more about Myra Green and her music at myragreen.com or pop on to bonnietours.com and follow her story from there. Hello and welcome to episode 49 of Passing Places. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're new to Passing Places, it's my podcast of my diaries of my travels around Scotland. Now in the the week since I last posted an episode, I think I left you, I was on a campsite in Oban and I've been all over Scotland in the intervening weeks, east and west and north and south, probably clocked up a few thousand miles in the, the motorhome. I did stop home briefly for 10 minutes, uh, maybe a month ago, just to pick up the post, but I was only there for 10-15 minutes, so I've been in the van all through the summer. And as I'm sitting here on the banks, Loch Lomond, the last time I was here on this site, on the east side, I was watching tree creepers spiralling up the the trunks of trees. And now I'm looking at uh, the first signs of autumn. Leaves are all beginning to turn a lovely golden colour. And I'm looking out on the loch side and there must be 50 or so little dinghy sailing type boats out. I don't know if you call it a flotilla or a regatta, but they're out in the loch and it looks a good day for it. Quite a stiff breeze out in Loch Lomond and some blue sky around but some clouds coming in so it's been a a lovely morning and I'm not sure how the rest of the day is going to pan out. I'm down by the south side of Loch. Now Loch Lomond is the largest loch in Scotland by surface area. It's about 24 and a half miles long I think and where I'm sitting down at the south side or the south end it's probably nearly five miles wide and it's dwarfed only by um, Loch Ness in terms of the amount of water. Loch Ness isn't quite so big in terms of surface area but it's nearly three times the the volume of water in Loch Ness. In fact one of the facts about Loch Ness apart from the monster is that it has more water in Loch Ness than all the lakes and freshwater uh, reservoirs in the whole of England and Wales. So Loch Ness is the, the biggest loch by far in terms of water volume. Anyway, back to where I am in Loch Lomondside. I thought I'd give you a quick uh, run-through of roughly where I can remember I've been since I left you in Oban. I think from Oban I headed over to um, Fife to catch some better weather. Spent a night on the way over from Oban at uh, the Invercoe campsite at Glencoe Village which I'll talk about maybe a bit later in the podcast, but it was a lovely, lovely campsite. Fantastic 360-degree views around Loch Leven. A really wonderful place to stop and really well-appointed campsite. But I headed, I spent one night there and I headed over to to the east coast, to Angus, to Milton Haven, just uh, slightly north of St Cyrus and a mile or two south of Johnshaven. Now, I've been there already and covered in the podcast, but uh, I'll give you some audio just now from the beach at Milton Haven, a little story about the, the background to Milton Haven. Well, you join me on a lovely sunny morning on the east coast of Scotland. I'm over at St Cyrus, a place I was visiting last year. You'll have heard me talk about Johnshaven, which is just a mile and a half up the coast. I stayed at this site as well as the Johnshaven site. 
So we're back again to catch up with some drier, brighter weather. And this is the third or fourth day I've been here. Probably leaving today, but I'm sitting down on a, a very stony beach. There's a stone embankment, maybe 10 feet tall, which protects the coastline from the sea. And with the wind we've had over recent days, it's quite an angry sea. Really large waves coming in and crashing on the beach. But it's a lovely morning. And it's a funny place, Milton Haven. I just took it as a, a campsite uh, between two villages. But Milton Haven, 300 years ago, was a village as well. And at that time, the, the locals depended on subsistence farming. They merely had some cattle and some livestock and grew some oats and barley. But as the 1700s went on, Montrose became the, the main port in Scotland for the trade in tobacco. And around 1750, the development of lime as a fertiliser changed the agricultural practices all over this coastline. And ironically, they discovered a seam of limestone on this beach. And they set up a, a, a kiln and they started to quarry for limestone. And whilst that meant that Milton Haven became the biggest of the largest village on this little coastline, one time there was over 50 houses and uh, many people working in the, the kiln. The light from the kiln acted as a, a beacon to ships passing by and smuggling became rife on this coastline. Uh, and one day, I think the customs people seized three tonnes of tobacco. But the locals began to get used to things like sugar and wine and various items that were being traded down the North Sea well, along this coastline of Scotland. But as the lime was mined, that seam of limestone was actually the defence for the coastline. And at some point in the late 1700s, the whole village was inundated after a storm. And that was the ultimate demise of Milton Haven from a village that had an industry and about 50 houses. The entire village disappeared. I'm not sure if it happened all in one night, but in essence there are still some houses now lying off the coast under sea, under the water at maybe 100 yards off the coast. And Milton Haven is now just a, a relatively quiet part of coastline between St Cyrus to the south and John's Haven to the north. But uh, it's funny how the lime, which was intended to improve the agricultural practices, led, in terms of fertiliser, led to the ultimate death of the village of Milton Haven. So St Cyrus is still uh, a, quite a large, probably the largest of the, the villages now, and there's uh, still salmon netting goes on, I think, to this day. Salmon was a delicacy which was exported to mainland Europe and to the Mediterranean beyond. But as I say, now it's it's all quiet on this coastline. I'm thinking about heading further south today. I'm looking to go down the coastline, maybe to somewhere in Fife. It's really a, a, a decision as to whether it's a well-camping uh, place. And I'm looking at 3G coverage, uh, which is central and absolutely important to well-camping. <laughs> or whether it's another campsite. But uh, I've definitely noticed over the last couple of weeks that instead of having a, 
semi-darkness for a few hours during the night. We're actually moving seasons and for a few hours during the night you get proper darkness. And the stars were out last night and it was a little bit colder. So we're losing a fair bit of daylight every day now and we're definitely moving, albeit slowly, into autumn. And I suppose the upside of that is that we'll get some dark skies and we'll be able to watch the stars and probably get some more sleep. I find it difficult to sleep when there's hardly any darkness. So I've had skid along the beach this morning. As I say, it's very stony. It's not a great beach for kids or whatever. But uh, it's always great to be by the coast. But on this coast you get the, the sunrise rather than the sunset, which is still quite novel to me. I'm so used to my west coast sunsets. So we'll enjoy our morning here. I've got my sister Katie and Dermot here as well. So between us we'll decide what the next day or two is all about. And we'll take it from there. I'm really thinking that over the autumn and winter I'll make a deliberate shift to wild camping because the economics of staying in sites alone is expensive. I'm paying sometimes £20 a night, which if you multiply that up over a month is £600 a month. And I really don't get the benefit of sites. And in many ways I've described them as toy town before. It's not really the same to be out in the van and find yourself lined up in rows and have everything laid on with um, cut grass and showers and all that sort of stuff. It's nice to do every so often to have a shower and uh, mains electricity and things, but I've been experimenting with a, an inverter which will allow me to take a 240 volt supply from my leisure battery. So I'm going to invest in an inverter and I was down in Fife just a few days ago with a a chap who was looking at my van at all the things that need fixed. So I'm getting my boiler fixed, so I'll have hot water for the winter. And I'm thinking of maybe trying to really cut the cost down dramatically over the autumn and winter. Spend the majority of time while camping and see if that uh, is a better way to go than using campsites. I tend to end up in campsites because it's, it's easier in terms of normally getting data but also when I've got Caitlin, my daughter, it's, I feel it's better for her if we're on a campsite rather than a wilding spot. And also meeting up with Dermot and Katie, it's just been easier for us to meet up on a, a site than try and create a mini convoy somewhere and park up and wild camp. So that's my thoughts for the weeks and months ahead is that we'll shift the emphasis to wild camping and try and see if we can cut the cost dramatically as well as... My little business is online, I put a bit more effort into them and see if I can square the circle in terms of the, the cost of living the, the dream, if you like, in a van around Scotland. I'm going to sign off for now. Skid is busily trying to play with the stone, one of many millions, if not billions, of stones lying on this beach. And I'll go up and see if my neighbours, uh, Katie and Dermot, will get up and see what we're going to have for breakfast. But what a glorious morning. A bit windy, but full sun on the east coast. And probably the weather will dictate where we end up over the next few days. So, other things that are in decline are the midges have <clears throat> gone for the season, I think. 
and the kamikaze wasps are just about uh, finished as well. Uh, people often get stung by wasps towards the end of the summer and I think the reason for that is the wasps are they they leave the nest the priority is to create queens for the next season and the, the, the worker wasps are left to their own devices really and they are pretty disorientated but they do head for any sugar or fizzy drinks or food or whatever so they tend to uh, display this behaviour as if they're going to come in and ruin your barbecue and hang around your picnic table and get in the van and things and I'm told if you just sit quietly that they'll they'll not bother you but most people flap their arms and inevitably somebody ends up getting stung so apparently if you look at a wasp very closely you can tell whether it's a male or a female and it's only the female that stings but the chances of me having my glasses at hand and knowing the difference between a, a male and female wasp I'm much more likely to swipe it with a newspaper first, which is probably the wrong thing to do. So after Milford Haven, we, I was with uh, my sister Katie, brother-in-law Dermot, and we headed back up to Invercoe to meet up with my brother Brendan, who now has my Mazda Bongo, my camper van that I used to run around in. And we had, I think, two or three nights at Invercoe campsite at Glencoe. And as I say, it's a fantastic campsite, really well worth a visit. If you're in that area, the views up uh, Loch Leven and the sunsets are amazing. And all round you've got the the hills, the mountains coming right down to sea level. Really is a good campsite. And I noticed they have these uh, midge machines which help keep the midges down. So um, if you're uh, up in Scotland from next May time onwards, I'd uh, recommend a visit to the Invercoe campsite. So to get to the north coast we decided we would do it in one day so we headed out of the campsite at Invercoe and went up through Fort William and Speen Bridge and on up the side of Loch Ness to Drum the Drocket. At Drum the Drocket you can take a little left and take the, the road over the hills to Bewley uh, and from Bewley through to uh, Conton Bridge and the road out to Ullapool. And then from Illipool we went up to the north coast. Now I normally do the north coast counterclockwise. I often start at the Kyle of Tongue end and come round down to Illipool. So it was a, a change for me to see the mountains and the, the views open up in the reverse direction coming up clockwise. And we had some lovely weather and it was just fantastic, fantastic drive. And we then had, I think, three nights at uh, Durness one of my favourite locations in the whole of Scotland, sitting up on the cliffside above a beautiful beach, looking out to the the sea and the horizon in the north. It was a fantastic three days, really a lovely weather. And I'm always on about the northern lights, and I really did hope that it would be capped by a display of the northern lights. But on the fourth day, we decided to head down to the Black Isle, to Rosemarkey. And as luck would have it, the northern lights came out uh, that night but we missed them they were certainly around the north coast and I saw some really good uh, pictures of the northern lights on the Dornog Firth but we ended up at Rosemarkey a little bit further south and it's a good campsite on the on the coastline there but a lot of orange lighting and I didn't see any northern lights at all so I, I left Rosemarkey on my own after two or three nights and headed along the Murrayshire coast 
I was heading for Aberdeenshire and I spent one night on a little campsite at Port Soy, a pretty uneventful night. Uh, the clouds were came in and the, it rained most of the time. And from there I headed over to meet up with my friend uh, Rob Grant, who often well camps on the northeast corner of Scotland. But lo and behold, the the night uh, that arrived in Aberdeenshire, in other words, the day I left Port Soy, the northern lights were out at Port Soy. So uh, I've been led a merry dance for years now that every, every time I uh, find the northern lights, I've been out, I've missed them, I've been in the wrong place at the wrong time, so... I'm just sitting here with uh, amazing sunshine on Loch Lomond and the rain's tipping down on top of me and if I look round in all directions I can see blue sky so I'm not sure where this rain's coming from just one grey cloud right above my head so I'm just going to sit it out you can probably hear <laughs> probably hear the rain thumping down I'm getting soaked but literally blue sky uh, almost all around me apart from above me and the sun is shining straight down on to me so that's uh, Scottish weather for you um, I'm sure that shower will be gone in just a, a few seconds so yeah I've covered Durness and the north coast before but it's a fantastic place to base yourself um, and I really need to get back up there Smoo Caves is uh, worth a visit Dermot Katie went uh, down to Smoo Caves now that rain's put me off where I, my thread where I was I was actually on my way over to Cruden Bay, which is a little harbour village on the northeast of Aberdeenshire, above um, Aberdeen and just south of Peterhead. And my microphone's getting absolutely soaked. I'm sh- sure this, uh, this rain's going to pass over just as quickly as it started. And I'm sitting on a rock. I don't want to stand up because then my rock, my seat will be wet. So I'm just going to sit here for the next few minutes. So yeah, I was going over to Cruden Bay and the little harbour there has a fantastic view. You might have seen the pictures on the Facebook, Passing Places Facebook group. Uh, I met up with Rob Grant and Katie and Dermot arrived as well. So we had the three vans in the harbour and there's toilet block there which is available. And the harbour is run by a local trust and they have a formal agreement that you are welcome if you're in a camper van or motorhome and they have a little honesty box where historically it used to be £5 to stay the night and it's recently gone up to 10 which is a little bit steep really for overnight parking but it's such a lovely location and we stayed there for well I stayed there for three nights I think Katie and Dermot was either a night or a couple of nights but uh, there was a guy who came down and he just picked up a load of uh, herring from the freshly caught and he picked them up at the Peterhead fish market and he gave me some herring and Rob and I sat and cooked them outside the van and we had herring for breakfast it was uh, absolutely delicious really really good Uh, I'm definitely going to see if I can get my hands on some herring in future from up that way if I get it fresh from a local supplier you've probably heard of uh, kippers which are often served for breakfast in Scotland, which are smoked herring. But these were filleted herring, just uh, landed in Peterhead very early in that morning. So Cruden Bay is definitely a place that I'll go back to in the future. And it was great to catch up with Rob, and he's got a new uh, a new van, so he was keen to try his new van. So hope your van's going well, 
um, Robin that uh, we can catch up again sometime. So I, I spent my last night at Cruden Bay on my own and I was the only vehicle on the the harbour site, which was good, uh, really nice and quiet. But uh, the day before we'd decided to um, take a walk along to the ruined castle. It's only a probably a half hour walk round trip. It's only 10-15 minutes one way. So that's where I uh, spent a few days and then from there I took myself up to Peterhead. I had a bulb missing in my or a indicator bulb which had blown on the van so I had to drop into civilization and go into Halfords and get a new bulb. But I ended up staying for two nights, two or three nights on the waterfront at uh, Peterhead. Now Peterhead is, they call it the Blue Tune, which is a reference back to the time when it was a really big fishing port and the fishermen used to wear blue stockings. So they call it the Blue Tune, as in Blue Town. But it's now a supply base for the North Sea and lots of ships coming and going. Uh, supplying all sorts of uh, support services to the oil rigs out in the North Sea. So got a little couple of bits of audio for you here. If you want to have a listen to them and while you're listening to that I'll collect my thoughts and have a look at this uh, flotilla of ships or boats that are out here. Fantastic colours. I wish I had my camera. I'm sitting down here without any cameras, not even my mobile phone, but a tremendous range of colours out on the lock side. You join me in Peterhead Harbour. I'm on a small campsite that overlooks the the harbour itself. And Peterhead's quite a busy harbour. It's a combination of historically a fishing town, but in more recent years it's operating as a supply and support harbour for the oil fields of the North Sea. So there's a continuous coming and going of, I would say, relatively large ships or boats. There's a boat on its way in just now. It looks as if it's called the Highland Knight, as in Sir, in terms of knighthood. And it's 75 metres long, according to my app. I've been messing around on my phone. I downloaded a a real-time app for ship movements. So instead of just looking out at the bay and wondering what's going on, I can track these boats in and out uh, live. And it gives me photographs of the ship and a whole range of technical specification about what type of boat it is and what speed it's doing and all this sort of stuff. Uh, a 24-hour hobby. I don't think I'm going to turn into the equivalent of a train spotter for ships. But as I say, I've been here two nights. I came over to Peterhead from Cruden Bay really to pick up some uh, 3G signal and get a shower and get laundry done. So that's all been completed and the weather has changed. It's quite pleasant when I arrived on the first day. And it's now what we would call Drich, uh, wet, light rain, horrible, sort of misty morning. I've just put my sun canopy or rain canopy out to stop me getting wet. And you probably hear as soon as I put it out, it's, I'm now getting water dripping off one end of it. And that noise in the background, that ship coming in, for the last two days I've, I suppose I've managed to block it out, but I've been listening to the sound of seagulls. Ships 
continually droning, cranes moving, and all these noises from um, cranes and lorries and various machinery as it, it moves around. You get these almost like reversing beeps that you just get used to. It's a continuous uh, background noise, so a very industrial landscape in comparison to what I normally enjoy in terms of a stop in the van, but I suppose a quite a nice change for, for a day or two. But I'll be glad to be heading inland. I'm heading over to somewhere in the Central Highlands probably to pick up some better weather. And if it hadn't been such a, a change in the weather, I would probably have stayed because tonight, right in the harbour, there is a planned aerobatics display by a, a group called the Blades an aerobatic um, aeroplane uh, group and it's very likely to be cancelled because of this weather I think they obviously need good visibility so that would be quite interesting to sit in the van or sit outside and watch the, the planes uh, looping the loop over Peterhead Harbour so as I say I'm all sorted ready to go I'm going to head out of town well I've got uh, 10 minutes on the computer to do a 3G scan of the Highlands, see if I can find a 3G area I can get some data to get this podcast finished and uploaded in the next uh, next 24 hours but I've enjoyed Peterhead, I've managed to get a thing, number of things sorted, indicator bulb for the van being one of them and the site warden's been very um, friendly and there's virtually nobody here we're just at the end of the season now I think from here on in sites will probably stay open until October, end of October but the, the number of tourists has dramatically dropped off now that the as well as the Scottish schools been back the English schools have now gone back so it's going to be quiet from here on in and you can certainly sense it's getting a little bit colder and it's certainly getting darker so I'll speak to you soon as I watch the, the Highland night move into its berth in Peterhead Harbour Well, I'm still in Peterhead. Another ship has just arrived in. A lot of these ships have heli decks, which look as if they've been retrofitted. They stand up on big stilts on top of the the bow of the ship. And it's interesting that I'm thinking they've been converted. I may be wrong, but there's a few Norwegian ships that look much uh, sleeker and purpose-built. Their heli decks are built into the bow. They look much more... Uh, elegant than these ones that uh, look converted. The background noise is Skid having his breakfast. This is a special treat for Dermot, my brother-in-law, who likes the sound of Skid munching his dinner. And my van, I mean, I would be totally embarrassed if anybody came to the door because when I do my laundry, I can't, I don't have the patience to sit by the tumble dryer and watch my, my clothes dry. So what I tend to do is just bring them back and hang them up around the van and it's amazing how quickly they dry and it's like a, a Chinese laundrette in here t-shirts and all sorts of things hanging off of various things in the ceiling so the place looks an absolute tip but uh, I normally get off site by 12 o'clock and I hate the day that I have to leave because I have a, a block when it comes to packing up and leaving in reality it probably only takes 15 minutes but it always seems like a 
a chore to put everything away and prepare the the cabin for takeoff. You've got to get the lecky in and occasionally I've, I've made mistakes. I've uh, gone off in the van and forgotten that I've left the gas on or my biggest offence to date, which was a total embarrassment. I drove out of a site in Mullachan Tyre with my awning partially out and it was only as I was driving up the single track road and I could hear the trees, the branches hitting the van and I couldn't see anything in the wing mirrors and a little car was coming down the single track road flashing his lights which I presumed was come up to the next uh, passing place and he would he would wait but as I drew up he said he was in a panic he said your awning's out and the embarrassment was I'd driven all through the site and waved to the, the office and the owner as I left and everybody in the site must have been having a rare old laugh because here's probably about uh, five feet of awning hanging off the side of my van so that's a mistake I'm unlikely to repeat and uh, as I say I've got to go through the, the, the mental checklist of have I got everything sorted before I head off and I'm in my usual position where I'm heading out the the site in an hour or so and I won't have a scooby where I'm going other than I think I'll I'll avoid one of the for me the problems of this top northeast corner I'm on the most easterly part of the mainland is that to head down the coast involves a, a circuitous route around Aberdeen and I could do without the the roundabouts and the traffic lights and the the, the hassle of Aberdeen so I'm more likely to head towards the A96 Inverness Road but at some point probably begin to head south into Speyside that's my thinking anyway I'm going to do a quick check on the computer here while I've got uh, internet and see if I can find some 3G areas within that uh, Speyside area I really do want to get some work finished both for myself and uh, some other I suppose clients work that I'm doing just to bring in a little bit of income to keep me on the road so as I say this other ship in fact two ships on their way into Peterhead Harbour and I'm getting a little bit bored with the app so I can't be bothered uh, looking up what they are and I can't see them in terms of the name in the side because of the mist so Skid has finished his dinner hope that uh, noise of a dog eating didn't upset you and I'll catch up with you soon. So yes, that was uh, Peterhead, and uh, not sure if I go back there. It was a bit of a one-off, a little bit too industrial for me. But certainly that northeast corner, I could uh, recommend. Let's talk about those damn wasps. I nearly started flapping my arms and jumping around there, but managed to take my own advice and sit quietly. If not quietly, certainly it didn't move. So hopefully that wasp is gone. So yeah, I've, I've been struggling over the period of the referendum to concentrate on the podcast. It, there's not a day goes by that I think about doing an episode and I do have lots of audio still to uh, fit into episodes as I revisit places that I've been to over recent weeks. So it's just good to get an episode uh, actually published. And I thought I'd sit down in the lock side because I don't have my full recording gear even yet in the van and I thought if there's going to be background noise it might as well be the breeze and some 
waves on the lock side rather than the sound of the the dog or the sound of the fridge or something in the van. You join me at Pebbly Beach at Cashel Campsite after we've walked from Malarkey Bay up the West Highland Way for about a mile and a half until we got here at Cashel and we're sitting having a picnic and I've thrown some sticks in for Skid and he's been fetching them and we're going to head back the way that we came so I'll hand you over to my dad. So yeah, as Caitlin said, you join us down on the beach, just north of Cashel campsite on the east side of Loch Lomond. We're directly opposite uh, Inchlonig, which is one of the islands out in Loch Lomond. It's the last of the, the larger islands. From here north, the uh, loch uh, narrows and deepens significantly. And Inchlonig is famous in historical times for the, the yew trees that grow over there. Apparently the whole plantation of yew trees was managed by Robert the Bruce and the yew was the wood they used for the the bows and the Battle of Bannockburn, which uh, goes back to, what, 1314. This is the 700th anniversary of the, the Battle of Bannockburn this year, so quite a nice spot, and it's good to be out after the wet day yesterday. I'm quite keen to get back into a bit of hill walking, and I've been messing around with one of these apps on the iPhone, which measures your steps. So I've got to get up to 10,000 steps a day as quickly as I can, so this little three or four mile walk will probably uh, reach that target for me today. And I don't know if you can hear Skiddy's over. Caitlin's now further along the beach. She's got a sketch pad with her, so maybe she'll be a, a budding artist rather than a podcaster. And Skid's on a short lead over there barking because he, he wants to be doing something. So... Much nicer day today. It's almost like black and white. When you look out over the, the loch, the, the light reflecting on the, the water is creating almost a black and white monochrome landscape. But behind that, if you look behind, you've got the autumn colours. It's interesting, I was up at the top of Loch Lomond a few weeks ago in Glenfalloch at a much higher height. Maybe I'm guessing at uh, heading for a thousand feet and the trees had turned. That was about two weeks ago. Whereas down here we're only, what, 15 metres above sea level and the silver birch trees have certainly turned, but the oak trees are still in full leaf. So I think another week or two before you really get the the range of autumn colours down at the south end of Loch Lomond. So I'm going to give up here because I've got a Jack Russell barking and uh, we'll catch up with you shortly. I'll maybe sign off for now. One thing I would say to you if you're still with me and you're still listening is that if any of you could find it within yourselves to leave me an iTunes review, that would be really good. And in the next episode, I'll get back into what was a regular pattern of shout-outs for people that have commented on the podcast, either by uh, leaving me an iTunes review or more likely they've contributed to the Passing Places podcast group. So a big thank you to all of you that have been placing photographs and comments on that group and also in the next episode I'll cover the fact that uh, in the more recent weeks and certainly um, in the last week or so I've caught up with a number of people including um, Joyce and Carlo who came over from Boston to have a holiday and to take in the referendum and I had a, 
a great visit to Plockton, as well as a couple of days with them in Aberfoyle and the Trossachs. So I'll uh, cover all that in the next episode. So yeah, if you could uh, leave me an iTunes review, it would be really great or contribute to the Passing Places podcast group. And finally, finally, if you remember some of the earlier episodes, I used to promote the SpeakPipe service on my website. And that was great when I got people sending me a voicemail. So that would be really fantastic if if you, the listener, could just go onto my website, bonnytours.com, and you can practice before you send it, but try and record a, a voicemail. Just say hello or ask a question or whatever's in your mind that's relevant to Scotland and passing places, it'd be great to hear from you. And then if I say finally, 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 I've uh, registered the new .scot name, passingplaces.scot, and I've got a plan that I would like to probably revamp the whole website and perhaps host it on that name. And if not on that name, I'll probably add a redirect from passingplaces.scot to bonnytours.com. So... Uh, I'll tell you more about that in the coming weeks as well. So I'll leave you on the banks of the bonny banks of Loch Lomond and that shower has passed by and I'm getting a really nice heat from the sun and uh, that's Scotland for you. Weather changes so quickly. So I've left Caitlin in the van, she's on her iPad and I'm going up now to sort out a few things and I'll leave you for now and maybe one day I'll see you out in your travels. I'll bump into you somewhere in Scotland. Thanks. And I'll play out with Myra Green's music or composition, Passing Places. <laughs>